in my opinion, with this remote world and being able to do more with less, driving self-service culture is imperative. Welcome to Modern Business Operations, where we talk with leaders about how ops is adapting to our modern world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Modern Business Operations. I'm your host, Brianna Autry, and today I am joined by Karen, who is the head of knowledge, customer success strategy, and operations at Confluent. How are you doing today, Carol? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Yeah. The holidays are approaching, staying at the parents' house. So the podcast setup today was a little bit different, but you know, I'm a guy it and I'm excited to be joined by you today. It's great to be innovative with technology setup. Exactly. Yeah. Always making our way, especially on the op side. So today I want to chat a little bit about what you do, what being head of knowledge means. It's kind of a newer-ish role, but it's so related to operations. And I just want to talk about what you're doing at Confluent to kind of make that knowledge shared across the entire organization, what that means and why it's important. So first off, just for those listening in, how did you get into this current position? What brought you here? What have you been working on in the past? I'll start with by saying that I've spent about 25 years in the technology space whether it was intentional or serendipitous, it's all been in what I call infrastructure technology. So if you think back 20 plus years ago, it's physical hardware and data center technology that you would use server storage, networking. And then I moved over into software, which allowed me to think about designing, developing, architecting, and having the combination of both and working through technology has given me I think a great broad experience around what we've been doing in what I call that infrastructure space. Infrastructure is the stuff that helps power the applications that we as consumers touch and feel today. And while I've had this great experience in physical hardware to software to SaaS type of software models, and now in a company that's more managed software, so thinking about fully managed where you just turn it on as a service. I've loved all of the experiences and I've leveraged all of my past experiences to get to where I am today. Not only have I had great experiences across different parts of technology, but I've actually taken this very non-linear or maybe even non-traditional approach to my career. A lot of times I've seen people will have a role in a particular function and the skill set deepens more and more and the expertise deepens more and more as people progress up a potential functional ladder. I actually took this path also non-intentionally as a generalist. And what does that mean? It means I've worked in areas such as program management and releasing products to the market. We call it NPI. I've worked in program management as it relates to sales and building out sales programs and doing operational things to help us transact business with our customers. I've had a field sales position running professional services team, so in a consulting arm of a company and learned all about the selling and delivering aspect of a customer-facing business. And most notably and recently, I've transitioned into this role of knowledge management. And I think of how I culminate all of these experiences into 
two buckets and I call them two loves. I have this love of being a customer facing person, thinking about different problems to solve, having that diverse set of experiences that can broaden my tool belt. But then I have this incredible operational core that thinks about how to break big rocks into smaller rocks, how to think about solving problems that have biggest impact and value, and how to put rigor and structure around what that looks like. So it's lasting past my time on that effort. So you're kind of an organization's dream because you've worked on the side of the people you're servicing, and now you're servicing those people from an operational standpoint. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't come from decades of experience in knowledge management or library sciences. I actually come from the perspective of servicing the group where I would have been a customer of said role. So I take the field experiences that I had for over a decade, plus the operational core that I've had and had roles off and on for the other decade plus, and I combine them together to think about how to build a knowledge sharing culture at Confluent. Yeah, let's talk about Confluent. For those who don't know, what does Confluent do? Sure. Confluent is a data and motion company. It's actually based on the open source software called Apache Kafka. And for those of you who want Kafka it's all about, it's actually a piece of software that was developed at LinkedIn a decade plus ago. And the founders, the original developers of Kafka are actually at Confluent today, including our CEO, Jay Krebs. And the concept around data in motion or Kafka is, you know, you you think about how everything we're doing is in real time. The buzz is real-time analytics or real-time data. And how do we really break that down at Confluent is thinking about how data typically sits in databases or in static places. But what Confluent does is enable that data to be movable and in a stream. And you think about like data pipelines, like that help move the data. It is that concept of moving it from batch to real time or creating the stream. I'd love to give a great example of what I see Confluent or Kafka in use. Pick any retailer where you're online and you're shopping and you go on the website and you're looking for a pair of pants. And as you're clicking on the pair of pants and the size that you want, you might see a pop-up that says, oh, only 10 more in stock. And let's say you toggle another filter such as like, you know, maybe you want to have it delivered to the store near you. And based on that, maybe the quantity changes right before your eyes. So we call that a real-time stream of data of inventory that you as a consumer through an application such as a website or a retailer app are able to make business decisions or in this case, purchase decisions on what you want to do instantly because the data is made readily available to you. In the old world, it would sit in a database, maybe every night at midnight, it would refresh the inventory. But in this case, like you could be shopping at said retailer for 15 minutes. And by the time you're in your car, maybe that item might not be available. You know, right away, rather than waiting till the next day to get an email that says, oh gosh, I'm sorry that item isn't really available anymore. So case in point, those are good use cases for Kafka. In fact, we have many retailers that use that specific real-time inventory use case for Confluent. Well, as an avid shopper, I can attest to the fact that this is very important information. So (laughs) I need it. I need those real-time updates. 
Awesome. And can I ask about the origin of the use of the word Kafka in this context? Yeah, it does come from Franz Kafka. And I don't know if you all have read his work, but yeah, it does come back from there. I'm happy to post a link afterwards if anyone's interested in more information about that. I need to know. So I'll be following up on that. Awesome. So I want to talk about what you do, knowledge management. What is it for those who don't know? And what are you trying to accomplish across CX? And like, how are you looking at scaling knowledge in times of growth and in times maybe when growth flattens, which I think a lot of people are experiencing right now? I think knowledge management may be a term, at least from my experience, is up and coming in a lot of software companies, especially what I call digital native companies that have grown from the ground up being managed SaaS companies, a lot of companies that are quickly forming, quickly growing. And the concept is, at least from Confluence perspective, is at the time when we started this practice, we were looking at how fast we were growing, how knowledge when we were much smaller was tribal. It was easier to do the knowledge sharing, but think of a particular SME and let's call it a security or networking space as you start growing that quickly in size. And for us at the time, we were growing double our size every year. It was really harder for that SME to scale their ability to impart the knowledge to other team members. And so the thought is, is that we needed to go the SMEs, think about like harvesting it, making it findable, accessible, usable, and ultimately managed and iterated as I like to call it like the gold standard or like the source of truth in a centralized or aggregated fashion. And so the example I gave is like, you know, in the times of growth, you have, you can't scale your experts anymore. You need to get that in a manner that's easier to self-serve. And let's say in cases of stagnation, like this is a great function to think about driving opportunity for efficiencies and productivity and be able to measure time to value of that productivity. So net like knowledge, at least in the companies that I've been researching and in my network space of knowledge management experts across technology companies, we all agree that our information is scattered. It's in a lot of disparate places and having a function that thinks through tooling, frameworks, governance is a good thing, whether you're growing super fast or if you're trying to flatten your operations. I mean, let's face it, with this pandemic, many companies are becoming more and more distributed and you might see a lot of companies come out with like a remote first or remote friendly culture. Three years ago, I don't know if I saw that as mainstream as I do today, but even with growth and stagnation, a distributed work culture means that people are going to be people, not just information are going to be scattered. Yep. So how do you take the mesh of people and the mesh of data and then make sure that a person feels comfortable that they're finding and using the right piece of information? And in my case, my own experience in customer facing environments, right? So for our field sales, our customer success managers, our support engineers, that are doing their day-to-day jobs, engaging with our customers or prospects, it's Mm -hmm. really critical to make sure that the information that you're serving them is current and relevant, is authorized, 
and that they can speak to a level of credibility around it. Yeah. And let's talk about how you do that. So how do you approach standardizing knowledge across your team and company? For those listening in, how can they do it, right? What are some tangible outcomes you've established at Confluent to help build that knowledge sharing culture? So I'll say that our team is not a big team of content writers, content managers, et cetera. We're a super thin team. Everything we think about is with intentionality around what we do and how do we get our biggest bang for our buck. So I'll start with that context because some of the examples that we've put in place, and I'd love to share some of them as what we've done in case anybody's interested, is we first decided like, okay, our information is everywhere. The first thing we need to do is bring it all into this one haystack so that everybody knows there's one haystack of information and that's the haystack that we should all be searching under. And so we actually bought a search tool. It's called Glean. And think about Google for the workplace where the user interface is you have a search window, you can type anything you want. So for example, you can type Kafka security and then it gives you a list of results. And the reason why it's so powerful is because it sits over the entire haystack. It sits on top of your wiki pages, your Google Drive, your Slack messages where people do post information and documents in there. In our case, like some of our tools like Salesforce are supported information and our knowledge base. And so now in one stop, every employee in Confluent has the ability to search in one place. That was step one, is just to get everything aggregated together. And step two is starting to think about, okay, now we have a haystack. How do we organize the hay? Is started thinking about and implementing a taxonomy. It is a nomenclature, a way of being able to put categories to organize that content. So for example, if you use the word security, how do you make sure security means the same thing when you're a salesperson talking to a customer, when you're a product person who's building the feature, when you're a support engineer that's troubleshooting a product, how do they take not just the information, but understand the high level category that it's under and apply that level of context. And those are two things, you know, I don't know if everybody can go off and buy a tool, but we saw that aggregating was the single most important first thing that we had to do and then organizing. And it's not a, it's not a fast process. It's thoughtful, intentional, and requires quite a bit of buy-in across all of the different functions because you have content creators in our knowledge base and our support in our product documentation, in our marketing teams, and how does everyone write and think and use the content under that same taxonomy? So those are two really interesting things, I think are interesting things that we're doing and that it gives us the ability for consistency, standardization, and value in talking that same language, whether you're finding, creating, using, or managing across all of your information. Yeah, I mean, just getting everyone to put all their stuff in the same place is like a venture in and of itself, right? Yeah. So if you're able to get that buy-in, that stakeholder buy-in and have it trickle down to the rest of the world. Especially in a distributed team, right? And I think also it allows for some of that freedom for teams to have their own individual best practices. And so maybe some teams, technical teams may have some of their best practices in a tool like GitHub because they're code scripts and 
aspects of documentation. Other teens may need to use Google Drive because either they're not technical or there's a level of knowledge sharing that's simple in Google Drive, you know, widespread and trackable as you do the edits. So having the aggregation in the organization doesn't force one way to everyone and allows for some of that creative freedom. Yeah. You got to let people work where they want to work, right? Or they're just not going to do it. Cool. And I think also this is important for anyone who is working in operations and is like, how can I take up on a project that's going to set me apart? Like if your organization doesn't have something like this, maybe you just take the initiative and just start it on your own. Yes. What I discussed doesn't have to be a big bang company wide theory. We started this in customer success and ultimately the search became company wide and the taxonomy could be one team or it could be implemented in one system. And by putting some guardrails in it and hopefully some good metrics, like what is the ROI of doing that effort and how do we make sure that we can prove value to then go to other systems that might have connected information. Speaking of systems, I definitely want to bring up one other really cool thing that we've done. So knowledge management, I'm talking about searching and aggregating and organizing, but there could be some pretty cool innovations in this space. And I'm fortunate enough on my team to have an architect that is very innovative in his thinking and was able to create a really simple tool, created in-house. It's actually a Slack app. And what he's done with that is he's extracting knowledge from these disparate places Um, Because in a distributed team, tools like Slack, Teams, et cetera, have become the glue that hold us all together as a remote workforce. Mm -hmm. We've actually taken that Slack app and he's pushed information to those teams. So the information could be in the context of how we run our business. The information could be, let's call it a new product release and we want to push out maybe the one pager of those features that are in there for the field to go see. Mm -hmm. That tooling could be pretty cool around building triggers to, oh, such and such action hasn't happened. Here are five pieces of content Mm -hmm. that you read and share with your customers. I wanted to bring it up because it's not conventional. It's completely unique to what I've seen us do at Confluence when I hang out with my knowledge community, but it's had such big impact. One person, one simple Slack app connects information in a way that's just in time. You know, it's kind of like just in time enablement of that information Mm -hmm. that you need and allows us as a business to put context around actionable things that we want our field teams to go do. Yeah. And very apropos to what Confluent does, right? With that real-time data, (laughs) you guys are updating that stuff in real time. So totally works. Absolutely. Just in time content (laughs) on a stream being delivered through a Slack and app, right? There you go. So let's talk about the risks. What are some of the risks if there's no investment in knowledge management? We kind of touched on it, but I want to go a little deeper on that. I think of this And I see this now more and more now that I've been in the role. So I'll be honest to say that I don't know if I would have foreseen this spending 10 years in the field, but now living, breathing this role and the work that we've been doing for the last couple of years, I think about like what happens when you're a company that went from 200 to 2000 people and you have no sense of feeling confident of where that 
one pitch deck is or when you don't know if something that hasn't been updated for six months, if that's okay or not okay. So I think like the confidence of using the information and the confidence in the quality of that information can just degrade rapidly if there's not much investment. I also think like in the case of, let's say when people leave a company and they were this amazing expert in one or many things, what happens? Like people feel this all the time when their favorite engineer or their favorite sales engineer or their favorite support engineer leaves, they take all that tribal knowledge out the door with them. Even when a company is growing or flattening, when people leave, that stuff walks out with them. And people and the information they have are our best assets. And so I just look at, do we really want to rely on our business on what I call single points of failure? Or do we build that redundancy? And redundancy could mean other people know what's going on. But in my opinion, with this remote world and being able to do more with less, driving self-service culture is imperative. So important. And if we don't have intentionality on how we drive a self-service culture, and it may not be knowledge management, it could be employee experience, it could be another department. But when I think of knowledge management, I think of the ability without help to go find access, use, et cetera. So like really driving a self-service culture that allows us to do our jobs. The autonomy. Yep. The fastest and best we can so that we're not slowed down in our productivity. This episode is brought to you by Tonkin. Tonkin is the operating system for business operations, providing businesses with the building blocks to orchestrate any process with no code or change management required. Contact us at Tonkin.com to learn how you can build complex processes fast. And if you're interested in staying up to date on all things business operations, join the Adaptive Ops community at operations.community. Yeah, that's a really good point. Autonomy is so key. And I think when you lose those key people, everyone's felt that, right? People have been that key person and people have seen that key person leave. And you know what? It's not in human nature to record and create redundancy. And so to have a team or a person dedicated to that is very important. Same. Agreed. Yeah. So I want to discuss what we talked about and I love this part of what you do, your design, build, and run framework. Tell me more about that. Sure. Okay. So this is my ops person coming out. And I'll just say that I love breaking things down into very simple buckets and very simple terms. And when I came into this knowledge role and a lot of my peers in similar technology companies were like, oh gosh, where do we start? How do we start breaking this down? What do we do? And I actually returned back to my program management roots 25 years ago and thought about, all right, like plan, build, run or design, build, run. And the reason why is because it gives focus. It gives us the ability to balance speed and quality and day-to-day work is agile. I mean, I'm going to say something that really dates me, but when I started my career, we would plan, design, build, run, test, launch. And then we'd start all over again in sequential order. So that waterfall methodology 
in my opinion, has been long gone. And then you see these, especially in engineering, these train models or sprint models where then you can work in smaller fractions quickly. I was like, okay, how do I take the best of all of that? And so when it comes to how we do our projects, including the tooling, we break it down into thinking, building, and running. And I definitely recommend it if you are a small team. Big teams might have multiple resources that can do the architecture, then the development work, and then the support and the maintenance of what you build. Not a lot of teams have that luxury. And so breaking that up is great for the resources to organize their time on what they should be doing. It allows us to set really good expectations around what we build and launch. But then it reminds us that what we build, we have to keep up to date. We have to nurture it. We have to make sure it's not broken. And so the best example is that Slack bot or that, you know, we call it a knowledge bot that I mentioned earlier. We look at design every quarter. We have an intake process. We engage with our stakeholders and have that get to that so what or why it matters. And then we use that to go build the best that we can with the widest experience and impact so that we know that what we build, we can go launch, measure the adoption and sustain it across a very large field organization. And every quarter we balance our time between the design, build and run to make sure that not one of those three buckets ever gets put in the back burner for the other two that we're always thinking and innovating, but there's this continuous level of build, but then we don't forget about running and operating what we built. Yeah, I think a lot of people, again, not really in human nature, it's our nature to build and then set and forget. And that is not, (laughs) unfortunately, the way things work. Last question, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? I am on LinkedIn all the time. I think it's really, really incredible, especially now as we're becoming more and more distributed to keep us connected, to build and expand networks. So I'd love to have any and all conversations. I'm Carol Patel on LinkedIn, and I really, really appreciated the time and opportunities to speak with you, Brianna, on this podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. It's been great having you. I learned a lot about knowledge management today, a lot I didn't know, and I hope those listening in did too. So thanks again, Carol, for taking time out of your busy day. And thanks to anyone who's listening in. Thank you all. Bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Modern Business Operations. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at tonkin.com slash mbopod. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. 